Please turn with me in your copies of God's Word to Psalm 19. Once again, Psalm 19. And this evening we're going to be continuing from the sermon that we heard this morning, and we'll be concluding this psalm. And last, last time we were together, we looked at verses 1 through 6, and we saw how God is revealed in the book of nature. We saw how God is made known through what's called general revelation. And so this evening we're going to look at the second way in which God reveals Himself, and that is in the book of Scripture, in what's known as special revelation. And so please give your full attention to the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word from Psalm 19, and we will begin in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let us ask His blessing on it. Holy Father, we do thank You for this Word that You have given us. It is much finer than gold. It is much sweeter than honey. And so, Lord, we ask that You would bless the reading of it. That it would be treasured among us as a people. And that we would receive it with gladness. That our hearing would be a conscionable hearing. One that rightly hears this Word of truth. And Lord, as we approach now the preaching of this Word, we know that it is not the mere words of man that can bring about the conversion of souls. We know that it is not the mere words of man that can enlighten the eyes. And so, Lord, we ask that the words of the preacher would not be the words of man. It would not be in the strength of uh, wisdom of man or of wise, cunning words, but it would be in the strength and the power and the wisdom of the Spirit that this Word is proclaimed. And so, Lord, give the preacher an added blessing uh, 
in wisdom and might in this moment. And Lord, as we prepare to receive the preaching of this word, we ask that you would open our hearts to receive it and receive it with gladness, receive it with joy. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. We lift these things up in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we did speak of general revelation, and so now we are switching gears to speak of special revelation. And you may have noticed that this morning I made mention several times, even in the discussion and the preaching on how God has revealed Himself in nature, we made mention several times of the absolute necessity of the Word. And I don't want to belabor that point, but that is of a prime importance. We have to understand the absolute necessity of the Word of God. We are in the Reformed tradition and we believe in a high view of Scripture. That's why the preaching is front and center in our services because we believe in the high importance of the Word of God. We believe in the doctrine of sola scriptura. Scripture alone is our infallible guide for faith and life. We believe these things. We have a high view of Scripture and that is good. We need that. But how many times have you just sat down and thought to yourself, why? Why do we have such a high view of Scripture? Why is the Word of God so necessary for us? Why is it so important? Why does it take the place of preeminence in our understanding of the Reformed faith and our understanding of the Christian faith? And so... It's, it's my desire that this evening we come to a greater understanding and appreciation for this book. That it's not just we hold it in high regard because that's what our tradition teaches us. It's not that we hold it in high regard because our family told us that we ought to. It's not that we hold it in high regard because our confession of faith tells us that we must. No, it's my hope that when we leave here today, we hold this book in a high regard because of what it is. Because it is the Word of God. And so we're going to be looking at this book of Scripture at special revelation by looking at two separate things. First, we're going to look at the Scripture's properties. And then second, we're going to look at the Scripture's purposes. So let us turn our attention first to the properties of special revelation. David begins this long string of seven properties with what can be argued is the most important of all of them. The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord. It's perfect. 
if this is not our starting point when we're coming to the Scriptures, understanding that they are perfect, then we're beginning with a faulty foundation. This must be the foundation of everything that we understand of this book. So what does it mean when we say that the law of the Lord is perfect? If something is perfect, then that means that there is no flaws, no blemishes, there's no mistakes. We live in a world that's uh, constantly challenging this primary property of the Scripture. The world will tell you that this book is not perfect. The world says that the Bible is simply an antiquated book that's written by men and it's full of errors and contradictions. Have you ever heard someone say that? Because I have many times. From the streets to the classroom at university to my own friends in their backyard. I've heard that argument countless times and I'm sure that you will if you have not already. But it's funny that this lie keeps being propagated even though no one has been able to produce a single error or contradiction. They will continue to say that there are errors and contradictions in Scripture, but no single part of Scripture has been proven to be an error or a contradiction. But they'll keep promoting and propagating this lie. But we know that's not the case. And we know that because the law of the Lord is perfect. And it can only be perfect because of who wrote it. The law of the Lord is perfect because the source of the law of the Lord is perfect. God is the author of Scripture. Yes, man... Yes, men were instruments who were used to write down this Word, but they were holy men that were carried along by the Holy Ghost, as Second Peter chapter 1 tells us. It's God who wrote this Word. It is God who breathed out this Word. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God as Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16. And so this is why from Genesis to Revelation, there is consistency, there's accuracy, there are no contradictions or errors because there cannot be. The source of Scripture is God Himself working through the pen of men by His Holy Ghost. And because He is the source, we know that Scripture is true. It's infallible. It's authoritative. It's clear. It's trustworthy. And it's been kept pure through all ages. Now I know that it may seem like I'm focusing heavily upon this first property, especially considering we have that we have to discuss. But the perfection of the law of the Lord is the fountain from which all the other properties flow. If we don't get this one right, then we don't get the others. And it's also the most pressing property concerning where we are as a society today. 
some of you will find yourself in a situation where the, pro- where the perfection of Scripture is challenged, where people are actively trying to deceive you. Young people, if you go off to college, if you're already in college, and, or, or even if you just spend any time on social media, which I think is one of the worst creations ever, I can guarantee you that you will be presented with these lies of the world concerning the perfection of God, of the Word of God. But these deceptions and these challenges to the perfection of Scriptures, they're not just out there in the world. It's not just the universities and the world and the pagans that are propagating these lies. No, these challenges of the perfection of Scripture have crept into the church as well. And so all of you must be on guard against this. It's not just the world that is challenging it, but so-called theologians as well. And this comes in the form of ancient Near Eastern studies and evolutionary theories and even some forms of modern textual criticism that even denies the authorship of certain books of Scripture or the, or, or the truthfulness that they were even written during the time period of uh, scriptural accounts. There are those who claim the name of Christ who are questioning the perfection of the law of the Lord. Let that sink in. How can you claim the name of Christ but not hold fast to His Word? It's nothing more than a new way of Satan's lie hath God said. The same lie from the garden is being perpetuated today hath God said. Do not fall prey to these things. Hold fast to the teaching of the perfection of Scripture. Trust in the source of Scripture who is God Himself to be faithful and true. Do not be convinced by the evil men and seducers, those who are seeking to spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, but cling to the truth that you know the law of the Lord is perfect. And flowing from that perfection, we read the testimony of the Lord is sure. Now to rightly understand this, we have to set aside our modern understanding of uh, how we use this word sure. Oftentimes we use it in an uncertain way. In an apathetic way, we say sure to mean yes, but without conviction. Do you want to go to the movies tomorrow? Sure, I don't care. That's not what's meant here, though. To say that the testimony of the Lord is sure is not to say that it's wavering. It's not to say that it's apathetic. No, it's to say that it is unwavering and without hesitation. When God says something, He means it. It is sure. You can count on it. Scriptures are not a composition of suggestions, but they lay forth exactly what God has meant for us to have. 
No amount of modern scientific discovery can nullify what is written in Scriptures. No amount of societal change can affect how we understand what is written in this book. Scientists claiming that the earth is billions of years old does not make the account of Genesis untrue. It just means that the scientists are wrong. Society accepting and promoting homosexuality and transgenderism and all other sorts of perversions does not make them any less sinful. It simply shows the depravity of the world that we live in. Christ is king over this nation and He calls the magistrate to rule accordingly no matter what our atheistic constitution has to say about that. The testimonies of the Lord do not waver or falter. They are not subject to the whims of man. They do not change with the times. No, the testimonies of the Lord are sure. Next, we read that the statutes of the Lord are right. And also, the the commandment of the Lord is pure. Now, I put these two together not because they are the same thing, but because I believe that they are intimately connected. The fact that the statutes of the Lord are right means that every ruling that has been made, every case law that is written down in this book, every precept that is pronounced and every command that is given is 100% correct and useful for us today. They're not tainted by cultural contextualization or by the cunning of man, but they are kept pure in all ways. There's no hidden agenda to what God lays out in His Word. There's no nefarious nature to what is written. He doesn't have some backhanded scheme that He's working behind our backs. Everything is up front and it's laid out in His Word and it's undefiled, it's blameless, it's unblemished, it's upright, it's moral, it's holy, and it's just. And we must receive it as such and apply it to our lives accordingly. We don't add to them or take away from them. We don't seek to correct what cannot be corrected. The very Word that we have in our hands today is the unadulterated, holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible Word that was given in ages past. And it is just as much for us as it was for them. These statutes, these commandments of the Lord contained in these 66 books are ours. And they are right and pure. And finally, we see that the fear of the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now, clean and true are simply expansions upon the nature of the Word, but I want us to take a minute and focus primarily, particularly, upon the property of Scripture that it is righteous all together. Righteousness is a characteristic of God. 
It is a property that can only rightly be attributed to God. And so it's interesting that David attributes righteousness to the Word of the Lord. And that's important. Because it means that the very characteristics of God are part and parcel to the characteristics of Scripture. And so we see that the judgments of the Lord are altogether righteous. They are holy. They are sanctified and set apart for a holy purpose. They are all righteous. From the greatest to the least, without single exception, there is nothing in all of Scripture that cannot be described as wholly righteous. This is essentially the summation of everything that David has been speaking of concerning the properties of Scripture. That all of these properties culminate into the fact that they are righteous altogether. And so Calvin notes, by this commendation, he distinguishes the law of God from the doctrines of man. For no blemish or fault can be found in it, but it is in all points holy perfect. Brothers and sisters, the Word of God is amazing. It's completely unlike any other book or writing out there. It can inform us and it can transform us. Holy Ghost working through it. Working through the black and white words on the page, making them effectual in our lives. And it can do that because it is perfect and sure and right, pure and clean and true and righteous all together. And what's even more amazing than that is that all these properties in Scripture listed in this psalm ought to then point us to the Word incarnate, to Jesus Christ Himself, who is the living embodiment of this book and in whom we have our salvation and hope. It is through this book of Scripture that the way of salvation is made known. And that way of salvation is the living Word. And so this leads us now to consider the purposes of special revelation. David does something similar here with the purposes of special revelation that he did with the properties. He begins with a string of purposes, but then he goes into a more expanded explanation towards the end of this chapter. And so just as he began the properties with the most important ones, so too does he begin his list of purposes with the, with the most important one. He begins proclaiming, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. This is the primary function of the written Word. This morning we saw that general revelation did not reveal what was necessary for man concerning salvation. All general revelation did was reveal enough to condemn man to hell. It didn't show the way of salvation. And so here, 
we see with special revelation the gap is filled in by this primary purpose. Where general revelation fell short, special revelation rises to the occasion. It's from the Word of God that we come to an understanding of how fallen into sin that we are and how we are in need of a Savior. It's in the Word of God that we learn of the sacrificial death of Christ Jesus who took on the sins of His people. Who died the death that we should have died. And on the third day, He rose again from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And it's from the Word that we find 10.9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Later on in that same chapter, Paul states explicitly the need for the Word. He says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. This is the primary purpose of Scripture, to convert souls. I've heard far too many times you will reach uh, people with the Gospel simply by how you live. Now there's some sense in which that can be true. However, this oftentimes is simply a cop-out for not sharing the Gospel with those around you. Your life does not present the Gospel. It may present the effects of the Gospel, but it doesn't, pre- it doesn't present the Gospel. If all you're doing is living a good and upright life, and that's how you plan to reach the lost, then it's much more likely that you'll convert them to vain moralism than it is that you'll convert them to Christ. The Gospel must be proclaimed. And it must be proclaimed through the proclamation of the Word. Because it is the Word that converts the soul. In some small sense, we are to live out the Great Commission every day. Matthew 28 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, you know, the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. You can't teach people to obey all that Christ has commanded without having the book where He commanded it. You can't teach them to obey Christ without teaching them the Word of God. Outside of the proclamation of the Word, there is no means of salvation. Because it is by hearing the Word of God that faith comes. We must get this right. This primary purpose of special revelation, the law of the Lord, converts the soul. And just as with the perfection of special revelation being the fountain from which all other properties flow, so too it is with the purpose of conversion of souls. Out of the conversion of souls, all these other properties flow. The psalmist goes on to say that special revelation is given to us in the Scriptures to make wise 
the simple and to enlighten the eyes. This is an after effect of the soul being converted. It's only after the heart has been regenerated by the power of the Holy Ghost that the simple can be made wise and that the eyes are enlightened. The Word of God not only changes our outward actions, but it renews our minds. It alters the whole bent and purpose of our lives. So many so-called Christians view the Bible as simply the instrument that brought about salvation, but after that it's just a book to place on the shelf and collect dust. But that's not what this book ought to be for us. The Word of the Lord has continuing purpose in the life of a believer. It corrects errors. It instructs us in the way that we should go. It confirms us more and more into the image of Christ. And so if you are neglecting the in-depth reading of, your, of the Word in your day-to-day life, you are missing out on one of, the most, uh, one of the primary means by which the Lord promises to grow and mature you in your faith. You're starving yourself of the spiritual nourishment that's found in the Lord. Have you grown stagnant in your spiritual walk? we all reach times where we kind of plateau. Where we're no longer in that mountaintop experience, but we're also not in the valley of the shadow of death. We're just there. You are. If so, examine yourself and see if it's because you have neglected the Word. So many times in my spiritual walk, I've found that when I, when I feel the farthest away from God, it is because I have neglected His Word the most. And so if that's you, seek to remedy that problem immediately. It's the Word of God that makes wise the simple and enlightens the eyes. And in that, in that you will find another purpose of special revelation. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. There's a joy that's to be found in the law of the Lord. Psalm 1 speaks of that righteous man who is Christ Jesus being the one who delights in the law of the Lord. And if you are in Christ Jesus, then that righteous man is you as well. You are to find your delight in the law of the Lord. Because it's in His most perfect law that He gives you that delight. So often we can approach the Word of God with a sense of annoyance or even disdain that we have to read it. We view it as a chore and not a blessing. I've found myself before even being angry that I had to spend time in the Word instead of going and doing other things that I wanted to do more. And that's sickening. 
If you find it difficult to come to the Word and to truly find joy in it, then cry out to the Lord that He would remove that sin from your heart and that He would cause the Word to bring rejoicing in your heart. We ought to be able to sing and not just say the words, but truly sing and mean it. The words of Psalm 119M that we sang earlier. Oh, how I love Your law. It is my study all the day. We must find our joy in the Word of the Lord. And then, and then the last in the string of purposes is that special revelation endures forever. There will never be a moment in human history in which the revelation of God is stripped away and man is left with only general revelation. The Word endures forever. No scheme of hell set out to destroy or dismantle the Holy Scriptures prosper because the Lord has promised that His Word will stand forever. The grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away, but the Word of the Lord endureth forever. Now why? Why is this, the fact that the special revelation endures forever, why is this a purpose of special revelation and not a, uh, and not a property? Well, I think there, there's, there's a reason why I put it here. And it's because the Word going forth continually is not just something that it is. It's not just an everlasting Word as, as being something within it. No, the Word going forth continually is its purpose. Special revelation has always been intended to endure forever and ever. It was always intended to speak to people in all ages of human existence. This is the purpose of special revelation, that it goes out, it goes forth into all ages, in all places, into all peoples. And so this ought to bring great comfort to our souls. It ought to comfort us to know that the Lord is faithful to preserve and promote His Word throughout every generation. And so Spurgeon writes, the revealed will of God is never changed. Even Jesus came not to destroy, but to fulfill. And even the ceremonial law was only changed as to its shadow. The substance intended by it was eternal. When governments of nations are shaken with revolution and ancient constitutions are being repealed, it is comforting to know that the throne of God is unshaken and His law unaltered. As this world descends into chaos, as this government becomes more and more hostile towards us, it ought to comfort us that I will... It all, <clears throat> it all taught, <clears throat> excuse me, 
it ought to comfort us to know when everything else is in constant flux that our God stands forever. But here in our text, David makes a shift in how he speaks of the purpose of special revelation. And so he begins the shift by speaking of the equipping and nourishing aspect of the word. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. There's nothing in this world that is to be desired more than the living and active Word of the Lord. It's the Word which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's the Word which is our offensive weapon to fight the war against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And nothing feeds us spiritually like the Word of the Lord. We're told to not be simply content with the milk of the Word, but to feast on the meat of the Word. And that's through diligent study of doctrine found in the Scriptures that we grow and mature and develop. This book, this Word of God, this Scripture, is our meat all the day long. As I mentioned earlier, the times where I found myself in the most plateaued state in my spiritual life, the times where I felt the most distant from God are the times that I have been so distant from His Word. We must be hungering and thirsting after the Word because without it, we will starve. It's our food. It's our nourishment. Special revelation ought to equip and nourish us in our spiritual life. But special revelation is not just for equipping and nourishing. It's also for convicting and sanctifying. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. The Word must be our mentor. It must be our teacher penetrating our hearts and showing us our faults. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul tells us that Scripture is profitable for correction. We must be willing to listen to the correction of the Word and to heed its call lest we stumble and fall from the way. And in doing so, in heeding the call of the Lord and in keeping the law of the Lord, there is great reward. Now, I need to be careful because it could easily turn into a works-based thing. This isn't a, a reward of salvation we know that salvation is not by works, but is by grace alone. So we know this reward cannot be the reward of salvation. But it is a reward of blessing which is only found in the obedience to the Word of God. There are true blessings that the Lord has ordained for us in this life 
which come through the faithful, spirit-wrought obedience to this law. And part of that reward is closer communion with our triune God. As you communicate with the Lord in prayer, He communicates to you in His Word, and that builds your relationship. That strengthens your communion. That is part of being sanctified. And all of this truth about special revelation, about the Word of the Lord, warrants a response from us. And so David gives that response as we see the words of Christ on these pages as he relied upon the Lord and His Word through his time of humiliation. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be upright and I shall be innocent of the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. This is Christ in His humiliation taking on the sins of His people and relying upon the Word of the Lord to get Him through that. Trusting that the Lord will not hold the sins against him. Trusting that the Lord will keep him upright. Trusting that the Lord will keep him innocent of the great transgression. And so this ought to be our response as well. Absolute reliance upon the Word of the Lord in all matters. The Scriptures are our ultimate authority in all matters concerning faith and life. They are absolutely sufficient for everything. We don't need to look to science or philosophy or the culture or anything else to correct what God has given. We have the Word of God. And so let this prayer at the end of Psalm 19 be your prayer that the Lord would keep you from sin. That He would keep you innocent of transgression. And that everything you do would be pleasing in His sight. Brothers and sisters, I pray that we all learn to marvel at and love and take delight in the law of the Lord in a way that we never have before. None of us are perfect in this area. We all have room to improve, so let us never take for granted the special revelation that God has given us. And so the challenge for you this day going forward as you leave this place, love the law of the Lord. Meditate on it day and night. Rely on it to equip and nourish you and thank the Lord for His special revelation. May we be known as a pe- people of the Word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father God, we do thank You for this Word that brings us the Gospel of salvation. Let us never take this Word for granted, but let us rely upon it in all that we do. In Christ's name, Amen.